Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse of Hell, a new podcast that discusses the cultural issues surrounding famous true crime story events and their perpetrators. You may find all social media links to this channel through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at A Glimpse of Hell. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the inaugural episode of A Glimpse of Hell. I'm joined by my usual co-host and partner in crime, no pun intended, Matt. How are you today? All the better to be discussing crime with you, my dear. Yes, uh, Matt and I both have a common interest in true crime as well as old films and old Hollywood. So we thought we'd have a bash at doing um, our own true crime podcast So thanks, Matt, for joining me on this endeavour. This will be once a month. Yeah, that's our current plan for um, episode timing, and it's also a new era with our recording technology. we now got two microphones, and so uh, not only is it the excitement of studying a new show, but I'm also constantly looking at my laptop just to make sure that uh, both the feeds from our microphones are working just because I'm not that much of a tech person. <laughs> He's a lot more of a tech person than me, and I'm really grateful to Matt for getting our new setup. I'm sort of going to concentrate more on the hosting duties, and Matt, of course, will be the featured speaker and also helping us with our recording duties here at the resort studios in Melbourne, a.k.a. my little flat. Yes, it's a nice cosy corner with uh, two beautiful dogs nearby. Yep, that's right. And um, a very understanding landlord who doesn't mind all the strange occurrences in the flat. Obviously, he hasn't seen our Google search history getting ready for this program then. <laughs> that's right. Thank you for joining us today. So our discussion this week is focused on Ted Bundy. Just briefly, here is the chrono for Ted Bundy's sad and deprived life. Theodore Robert Bundy was born on November 24, 1946, in Burlington, Vermont. Bundy had a complicated childhood. He spent his early years with his maternal grandparents who raised him as their son to protect a family secret that his much older sister was, in fact, his mother. He would find this fact out later in his life. Various forensic psychologists and consultants have described that Bundy exhibited signs of various conduct disorders as a child. It is believed his first victim was a teenage neighbourhood girl. This remains to be confirmed. His first adult attack is believed to have been in January of 1974. Linda Ann Healy was his first confirmed murder just a month later. These assaults happened around the University of Washington. From January to July 1974, Ted Bundy is believed to have killed eight women in the Seattle area. Bundy then transferred to Salt Lake City to attend law school where he killed additional women. In 1974, Bundy attempted to kidnap Carol Deranche, but she escaped. She would later play a role in helping convict Bundy of some of his crimes. Ted Bundy killed Karen Eileen Campbell in January of 1975 This murder happened in Colorado, near Aspen. After this, Bundy's long-term girlfriend, Elizabeth Kuffler, then helped the police confirm and raise suspicions about Bundy, and in the meantime, he continued his killing spree. The information that Elizabeth shared with the police focused around questions to do with Bundy's various movements at night 
and suspicious articles that she had found inside their shared home. In August 1975, Bundy was pulled over again by police and arrested in his famous VW Bug. They found rope, ice picks and various methods of disguise, such as gloves and a balaclava for his face. In March 1st, 1976, he was finally convicted of a crime, the kidnapping of Carol Deranche, and sentenced to 15 years in jail. He was also suspected of several other murders and was sent to Utah to stand trial in another case he was accused of. June 7th, 1977, Ted Bundy escapes from prison. In this incident, he jumped down two stories from one of the courtroom windows where he was being held. He was missing for six days until he was then apprehended by the FBI and he went straight to trial after being found. Moving to December 30th, 1977, he escapes again from police custody, the second time. This escape attempt had Bundy remove a light fixture in his JSL and slide through a small hole, crawling through the ceiling, dropping down into a different location, and then simply walking out of the jail. After escaping, Bundy made his way down to Florida. He attacked several women at the Florida State University Chi Omega Sorority House. This happened on January 15, 1978. Two women who, who were killed in the attack and two women survived. On the same night, Bundy also attacked Cheryl and Thomas in her home. She survived, but with severely, severe injuries and he had incapacitated her. Ted Bundy murdered his youngest known victim, 12-year-old Kimberly Leach, on February the 9th, 1978. She was only 12 years old. He was finally arrested within a week of these crimes when police stopped him for driving a stolen vehicle. June of 1979, Ted Bundy went on trial for the murders at the Chi Amiga sorority house. In 1980, he also went to a second trial for the murder of the young girl. He was found guilty of all these crimes and sentenced to death. During the 1980 crime spree, he went on trial for that and then married his long-term girlfriend, Carol Ann Boone. Bundy actually proposed to Boone when she was acting as a witness in his trial and he was acting as his own attorney. Bundy was then able to utilise a legal loophole to be able to ask Boone to marry him when she was on the stand. In 1981, Boone gave birth to Bundy's daughter, Rose. They eventually did divorce in 1986, and she left Florida with Bundy's daughter and her son from another marriage. After spending nine years on death row and exhausting all of his options, appeals and pleas, Ted Bundy was finally executed by electric chair at 7.06 on January 24th, 1989, in the Florida State Prison in Stark, Florida. Experts in the Bundy case believe that Bundy may have killed over 100 innocent women. Bundy only confessed to killing 36 women and used this information he had about the killings to try and extend his life. Not a nice person. No. There's no other way. Well, that's the ultimate understatement. Uh, well done on your research, Rachel. Thanks. It was. Um, I just got it off a couple of um, chronologies of his crimes, and thanks for being patient with me. That was my first time reading out something so long, so we'll probably improve that as the future goes on. Uh, but we wanted to give people out there, anyone listening to this podcast will know Ted Bundy in detail. He was a pop culture figure, really one of the first very famous serial killers at a time when they hadn't even really coined that term. 
well, I think his uh, rise kind of uh, coincided with that um, appearance in, in psychologist circles, uh, because until the 70s, I believe it, it was uh, generally considered that there had to be some sort of definite motive of um, committing a murder, and that uh, a serial killer as a distinct psychological case only was coming about at that time. But he was one of the most horrible people we could ever imagine. And naturally, in the lead-up to this podcast, I've been thinking a lot about how do you define or categorize or rank the different types of evil. Mm. And I suppose there are kind of two types you can often think of because in terms of pure numbers, in terms of death caused, when you look at the likes of... Uh, dictators and uh, bureaucrat murderers like Adolf Eichmann and Stalin, Mm -hmm. they caused infinitely more in the millions. That's right. On the other hand, they do it sort of by bureaucratic means. On the other hand, you have an individual like Ted Bundy or another serial killer who, with their own hands, uh, they may do it a lot in much smaller numbers because it's what they're physically able to do but they are much more intimately involved with the horror of their crime. Yes, I mean, even in the realms of sort of quote-unquote famous serial killers, uh, Charles Manson didn't actually, at least in the Tate-LaBianca murders, didn't actually commit any of the crimes himself, but he was culpable because he convinced other people to do it. But in the case of people like Bundy, Dharma, Gacy, just to name a few, um, it's by their own hand and it's intimate deaths where they see the horror of what they're doing to the person and they get that satisfaction from that. And it's not only that, a lot of the times, especially in Ted Bundy's case, did not dispose of the body straight away and dump whoever into whichever river and then take off and get somebody else. He would go back and forth to the body doing things to, you know, unmentionable things to the bodies post-death from you know, personal interactions with them, lying with them, abusing their corpses more, you know, dressing them up. Uh, I believe he put makeup on some of them. So this whole, yeah, Yeah. I was even reading that in a couple of cases, not in all of them, whenever he had the opportunity, if he could dispose of the girl somewhere where he was safe to go back and forth from, if it wasn't safe, then he would dispose of them. Mm. But he was able to to have this intimate experience. And in a lot of these cases, what they say is it's about control. At least that's what Dharma had said when he was, before he was murdered in jail. He said, for me, it was about controlling this person and possessing them. Um, You know, his crimes, obviously we may discuss him at a further point. But Bundy and Gates, for me, that's the evil trio of these three because they killed so many people and often had the bodies with them for days on end. I couldn't even imagine doing any having a decomposing body, but for them it's just another day at my house. And they may um, escalate in the long term, but what is particularly shocking with, for example, Bundy is that uh, he, well, it's one thing to say that they have a warped mind, but also that the fact that they're at least making a, some of an attempt to do things out, out of sight, even if uh, Bundy was particularly reckless in his methods, and so they're still able to reason that they shouldn't be caught 
That's right. And it's amazing. I guess I was thinking about this before we came on air and you look in, why do people like Ted Bundy? It has to go beyond he was, I mean, I guess I guess you could say he was an attractive-looking person, especially when he was younger. And this is like the first generation of people that had that obsession, like not the people that have only found out it because of the Zac Efron film. That's right. I mean, people were obsessed with him. They were waiting around outside the jail. They were, you know, he was in magazines. Also because he was quite charismatic as well. Obviously, he was a brilliant person. He was trained as a lawyer even though I don't think he actually formally finished his studies, but he was able to look up that legal loophole where he was able to, in the courtroom, ask Carol Ann Boone if she would get married to him, and she said yes. So therefore they were married because they were already in court when she said yes. So only someone who had, you know, mental acuity and ability, and I think the judge actually said to him when he sentenced him to death, he said it's a shame that you didn't go in the other direction because you're obviously a very brilliant and talented person or words to that effect. But I always look at these people, and I think in Bundy's case, in all of these serial killers that do it with their own hands and do it because they need to get that fix, their brains just don't work properly. I think that's been established by various scans on some of these people. The frontal lobe part just doesn't work properly. So I, I when people like what made him... A, Yep, I'm sure he had a difficult childhood. I'm sure he did this. I'm sure he did that. It was hard. A lot of people go through that and don't turn out like this. They might get into crime or whatever. But for me, I think all we can do is educate ourselves and hope we never come across a person like this because you're not going to stand a chance against them. Well, it's obviously quite a controversial topic, but one reason why I don't really support the death penalty in most cases is that particularly in extreme cases like these, Yes, of course, it would have, in Bundy's case, played into his hands of wanting to prolong his life as long as possible. But the fact that you have the opportunity of a specimen in a jar principle to examine his brain, because, like, yes, they did examine Bundy's brain, but this Mm -hmm. was um, obviously going on a few decades ago now, and you could imagine how much neuroscience has changed since that time. But Bundy's, uh, uh, and even before you even get to examining the brain in a jar, like, you still have the opportunity to talk with a person and uh, build a profile. And the same works with analyzing the motivations of terrorists and mass shooters. Like when you do have the chance to get one alive in custody, it's a chance for doing profiling. Yes. And particularly so that that scientists and can eventually reach down even into political elements so that they are able to make policy not based on assumptions in the media. That's right. Yeah. It it just, the fact that, whenever he was arrested and escaped, he went straight out and started doing it again. There was no, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to turn things around. He did try, I think, after his first escape to yeah. sort of work underground in a yeah. in some sort of job just to keep on the down low because he wanted to be free. But at the same time, he... Uh, there was that compulsion. It yeah, just was a part of his it. life. And it's, it's actually amazing. I don't think somebody like Ted Bundy or Gacy or Dharma could exist now because... Not in, they might exist initially with the first two crimes, but with telephones, internet search histories, everyone being tracked, security surveillance, it would be a lot easier to track them down. Like these men, especially Bundy, his crime wave really spanned his childhood, obviously, so 40s, 50s, 60s, with some of the terrible things he was doing as a young person. 
but the main element of his crime wave was from sort of the early to late 70s. And he was able to evade authorities because you could essentially just live underground. Everything was done manually then. And yeah, I'm sure they did have a few surveillance things, but that's how the length of his crimes were able to go on. Whereas now he just, yeah, he might get away with a couple of them, but it would be so easy to track him and get to him now. Mind you, a problem that you still have even now is um, ensuring that police in different jurisdictions still communicate with each other. Because Bundy, although he was relatively uh, young by uh, civil servants or lawyers' standards, he'd done enough work in different um, sectors to know that quite often police departments wouldn't communicate with each other that well, uh, even between counties next to each other, let alone going to a different state. And that meant that and add that with the uh, inefficiencies and slowness of um, paper filing and everything, that does mean that he was able to take advantage of it. And so it is possible that if you had a modern criminal, they may be able to take advantage of it in some way as well. But definitely it's hard, it's harder to just be it's hard, it was harder at that time to just be caught. And the fact that he only got into custody because of his sloppy driving that's right and turning it turned yeah. out to have a stolen car. Yeah. I know, and I believe the police officer that arrested him had no idea who he'd actually arrested at the time. He's like, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Look, the other – I mean, look, you know, when Ted Bundy obviously had this childhood trauma of the mother and being his sister and and all the rest of it, you know, but there were warning signs there um, when he was a child. Apparently he was looking at – you know, pornography and things as a child, where he sourced a lot of this stuff from, I'm not sure. But Lionel Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. A lot of young boys do see that stuff, though. Yes, they do. So he's obviously wanting to source that and possessing women and having them as this sort of thing to possess and get inside. Remember Lionel Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer's father, saying, in hindsight now, he saw what Jeffrey was doing as a child, you know, killing animals, destroying them, taking taking pleasure in their pain. And he said, if I could turn back the clock, I would have raised awareness. And that was one of the reasons that Dharma's father did come out and want to discuss what happened with Jeffrey, because he's like, please be aware of these signs, because there are definite signs that this person's brain is not operating right. Um, so, and it can be a fine yeah. line, though, because yeah. uh, I believe his Dharma's father was a scientist uh, or some sort of a anatomist and yep. uh, was absolutely impressed that his son was taking an interest in anatomy and pre- preservation. And even, for example, like my fiance is a, a nurse and a paramedic, so she has a lot more of an interest in me than, than all some others that, in um, how the functioning of the body works and everything. And I imagine it would have been similar when uh, my fiance was a child as well. And so yep. there is a bit of a fine line. There is. I suppose it's just if they're stepping over from asking questions to actually physically carrying out these assaults on animals or other people. Um, And the fact that there's just no comprehension, there's no... I remember Jeffrey Dahmer saying in his famous interview with Stone Phillips, he said, I knew intellectually what I was doing was wrong. It just... I just couldn't stop it. It was just my life. And Bundy is the same thing. And Gacy, even though he claimed he was innocent, it was the same thing. It was that horrible, destructive compulsion and one was never going to be enough. What do you think about 
um, the sort of victims, these poor, innocent, beautiful women that he attacked. And the, 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 we don't need to really go into the ins and outs of the disgusting depravity of his crimes, but let's just say this way that all these women were beaten, they were sexually assaulted, they went through living hell before he finally killed them. And then even after, even though their soul was no longer in the body, the decimation of their bodies after that is truly disgusting as well. And really that gets into the, some really nasty areas, but this first love that he had, Diane Edwards, beautiful woman, you know, with the typical sort of seventies straight parted hairstyle, a lot of his victims did look like her. Was he trying to act out something with the other victims, do you think, or not not proven? I mean, it's hard to say because uh, this has been um, said uh, quite um, from almost at the beginning of profiling Bundy. And looking at the different pictures of his victims, yes, the majority of them have dark hair and it's often split in the middle, but the hairstyle still varies a fair bit. And, of course, obviously most of any given generation, a lot of young women will have a similar haircut. Right. But it wasn't like they were identical twins. Yeah. So I, like, it is possible, but I think the main factor was just simply that Bundy would be seeking out victims that he was attracted to where any other normal person would have a similar type of person they go to for a date or a dance. He Mm -hmm. was using that same judgment for want of a better term to sort to profile a victim yeah it's um he used he was very manipulative uh he used the famous um my foot's in a cast my hands in a cast can you help me you know with the girls to lure them to his car um actually when I was younger and first backpacking around the U.S. they had the National Crime Museum I think this was in Washington I think it's now defunct but they had the VW his bug in the the VW bug that he drove and I was like oh my god and that's look, kind of a rather poor taste of exhibit yeah it, it is they had a few other things there as well um but they had his car and obviously you know all traces of him inside the car had been removed but you looked into the car and the seats were there and this and that and you you just my mind immediately went to what on earth have these poor women gone through in this car uh, and they were all so innocent and unsuspecting and it's only people who have that charisma are able to lure someone away and obviously having that oh I'm I'm harmless I've got a cast on and a lot of young women would have thought yeah absolutely that's fine. I'm more than, you know, you're good looking, you're nice, you're friendly. Why wouldn't I want to come? And it's, that's how he was able to exist for so long too. And even the famous crime writer, Anne Rule, when she worked with him in Seattle at the call center, cause he actually had a degree in psychology. Yeah. Um, you know, she said, I, I, you know, literally her book is the stranger beside me. I, I didn't even know who I was working with. I couldn't believe it. It was him. And it's just he was able to be so destructive and perhaps that's why he was, you know, escalated in pop culture because it's sort of like we can't actually believe a person like this could be capable of it. And to an extent if uh, Bundy did sort of separate walls within his mind, maybe parts of him didn't believe himself what he was capable of or tried to convince himself to um, that he was uh, probably another person on one side and that he tried to blame it on something called the entity and, of yep. course, when you're dealing with any criminal, you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt. You need to carefully analyse it like you like you would the behaviour of an animal. 
Yes. Oh, well, really, they they really have put themselves, they really are that. They are, like you said, they are a specimen and something that as a normal person, you just have to pray in your life. You never come face to face with somebody like this because it's going to be very hard. Some people manage to get away. They're never the same after that. It's interesting that you, that you mentioned the soul out of the body of his victims before, because actually one of his victims or almost victims that did escape from him before he managed to attack them, I believe this was when he'd moved to to Utah and she was part of um, the Latter-day Saints church. And I can't remember all the details, but basically because of the, so I think he managed to rape her, but not, he didn't get around to, um, to killing her. Yeah. Um, but because of whatever screwed up moral, law they had effectively she felt obliged for decades to keep it completely hidden hidden mm-hmm. that she was one of his victims or mm-hmm. or uh, because um something to do with uh, her like it would have almost been like um they'd have said she attracted yes well attracted that fate yeah. to her i mean the 1970s even though they'd just been through the 60s it was still quite patriarchal i mean obviously now a woman who you know there's the me too movement and now innocent men are being accused of things just because uh, they looked weirdly at a woman once. But one thing they, I yeah. one thing I disagree with in a lot of um documentaries where they try to make everyone a, like a product of whatever's sort of going through the headlines at their time of yes. the newspapers. Yeah. I think if Bundy had lived 20 years earlier or later he'd have done similar things. I think the only influence that the feminist era would have had was simply that more women were walking out alone at night time, which would have probably made it easier for him. But apart from, apart from that, I don't, I, he was doing it because of his sick needs. I don't think he was consciously trying to reverse the women's lib movement by murdering people. No, that's right. And he's, you know, he's, he had a lot of opportunities with his victims just simply where he operated which was around you know university campuses where he was you know oftentimes a student himself one question I had is where the heck did he get all the money from to go to all these different universities and go in and out of courses I mean unless he was working or had some family money or something but he was from a quite a poor background Uh, he would have probably taken out student loans from time to time. And even when he was in court, he was a, a public, he was getting public defender lawyers. Yes. Uh, and like even the bare minimum legal defense would have been better than him uh, causing a ruckus in the courtroom. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think he just couldn't uh, finish anything, partly because he was trying to uh, conceal his needs. Yeah, uh, they said that, you know, I mean, all this stuff that he was doing would have been actually quite physically exhausting as well as trying to cover up some of these crimes and spending times with the victims after he'd killed them um, and trying to account for his time where he was, etc. So, yeah, I mean, even though it was a, a release for him and what he wanted to do, there must have been other considerations he had by trying to evade the law. So, here on um, A Glimpse of Hell, we're going to finish off with sort of on film in terms of things that you can watch on Ted Bundy, what we thought was interesting. I'm just going to go through a couple of the main films. And then, Matt, if you want to talk about a few of the things that you watched as well. Yes. So one of the first films that was made, it was actually a miniseries starring one of my favourite actors, Mark Harmon, 1986, is called The Deliberate Stranger. Ted Bundy was alive at that point because he died in 89, and I refused to watch it. It's like, yeah, Ted, like, I I, I doubt they care. 
Um, one film I saw in, when I was living in Canada actually is a film called Ted Bundy starring Michael Riley Burke, who, you know, um, just wanted to say played Larry Hagman's son in a TV show called Orleans. I, not that that has anything to do with anything. Rachel loves Larry Hagman. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and intri- I mean, look, it was pretty much just a straightforward sort of TV biopic, but done in a nice sort of simple way. You could sort of see the trajectory of Bundy's life. I thought Michael Riley Burke was pretty good in that film, actually. Um, Mark Harmon, I've only seen clips of Deliberate Stranger. So that came out, that Ted Bundy film came out in 2002. I think it's pretty easily available online. It's more of a TV film. Uh, And then, of course, The Stranger Beside Me, based on Anne Rule's book from when she spent time with working with um, Ted Bundy and starring Billy Campbell, and the film is obviously based on her book. Then there's The Riverman, starring Bruce Greenwood, one of my favourite actors, Kathleen Quinlan and Carrie Elways, and that's when um, a detective is, is working with Bundy to bring down this killer. And I believe that that actually is a true story and did happen. And then of course, the latest one that sort of came out was Zac Efron and Lily Collins, which is based off Elizabeth Keffler's, uh, not, not his wife, but the woman he was seeing for a long time, her interactions with him, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. I did watch it, not a huge fan of modern film, so I didn't like it. I preferred the other ones I've seen. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, always a difficult age uh, to interpret uh, films when you're dealing with such a powerful subject matter. Especially when Sheldon Cooper's in the um, in the film. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was hard to get past that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, good on Jimmy Parsons, but, it, you know, I think it's going to be... Uh, I have a friend that lives in Los Angeles once, and Sean Hayes, who is on uh, Will and Grace, um, playing... What's the... Do you watch Will and Grace? I watched he, a little he bit. He was the sidekick. I can't remember the name now. but The, the guy was, with the bird called Waldo? Yeah, he was the sort of the other uh, friend in the foursome. So you had Will Grace, then Megan Mul- Mul- Mulaney's character, and then Sean Hayes' character. For the life of me, cannot remember his name at the moment. But I said, my friend said to me, oh, I saw Sean Hayes at an event. And I'm like, oh, what was Sean Hayes like? And he said, Sean Hayes? And I, that's kind of like Jimmy Parsons for me. What's Jimmy Parsons like in the movie? Jimmy Parsons? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just thought of a great way uh, in, if um, they could have changed the defence strategy then if Ted Buddy said something outrageous in court. Uh, he could have just gone, judge, yeah. judge, <laughs> judge. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, so th- those are some of the things. Obviously, there's lots of on Netflix. There's the Ted Bundy tapes. I've watched a little bit of that, but I feel like, you know... I think I, they were produced or directed by the same guy that did Extremely yes, Wicked, Shockingly Vile. Yes, yes, I did read that. Um, because I'm older than Matt, I actually remember when Ted Bundy was alive. So I think I was Lucky like... Lucky you. Yeah, oh, God, what a great era. Um, I, I think I was about 13 when he was killed. Good. Um, and I remember it being on the news. I remember seeing the news reports that you know, he had been killed. So, and obviously I was born about the time that his killing rampage sort of started. So I've always known of him. He's always been there as a figure in my life I've read about. And because my parents were into true crime, um, I always sort of, you know, oh, my mum was, oh, look at that on TV. Oh, look, that guy's horrible and he did this and that. So I was always very aware of him and of Dharma and of Gacy as well. 
So that finishes up our little discussion today. Thank you for bearing with us. We're still getting this podcast up and running. So it was a little bit patchy, but we do aim to bring out a better product for you. Um, Matt, is there anything you want to say, anything you've seen that you want to direct the audience to? There are so many documentaries of Ted Bundy out there. It just takes a bit of a look for them. Well, the first uh, introduction I got to Ted Bundy, which was before the Zac Efron film, and so I'm glad to say that I'm one of the few, I'm probably one of the few current generation that actually knew of Ted Bundy without being interpreted through Zac Efron. Yes. And uh, that was through uh, Simon Whistler's channel Biographics. So he's not an academic, but he uh, does a lot of brief biographies of a lot of notable people, both uh, heroes and villains, Mm -hmm. you could say, of history. And uh, so that was an introduction to, you know, one of the most horrible specimens of humanity. And that is how I got led to a lot of the Netflix series, and that is probably my main source as well. I haven't. Uh, I actually did read a couple of um, reports by uh, the psychologist that was first interviewing Ted Bundy to determine if he was capable of violence. Yeah. And I am often fascinated by the villains of history and what can motivate them in early childhood. And it's interesting that apparently it was a big issue for Ted that he was born, found out that he was born illegitimate. Yes. On the other hand, there is another Australian serial killer that was in America a lot as well, and I can't remember his name, but he was of maybe 10 years younger generation than Bundy, and he was born out of uh, wedlock as well in a similar circumstance where his mother obviously was with a sailor or something during World War II. But that other serial killer which I wish I remembered his name now, but his uh, father was stuck around, and yet he still became a serial killer. So yeah. obviously, um, yes, illegitimate, but he had a li- his father around. And so, yeah. yes, you How can look can at... How you make of that? Yeah. Like, so, like, you can look at these different points of, uh, of upbringing, but then it's very hard to say. And I don't really take much salt in Bundy's final claim that... Uh, pornography was yeah. partly to blame yeah. because part of that I think he was also trying to suck up to this uh, person interviewing him was who was like this famous uh, television preacher who was very vocal yes. against pornography and yeah. he was probably like try, trying to play up yeah, to him. Yeah, and he was trying to barter for his life. He was trying to manipulate, oh, I'll tell you about this crime if you do this and that. And he did have a stay of execution at one point, but it seemed like just another manipulation of him trying to yeah. blame it on his mother, trying to blame it on his parents, trying to blame it on. And he he's just evil and he just the brain isn't working right and it's his need and that's all it is. And when you are looking at it, regardless of what the killer wants for whatever reason, it is a hard thing sort of as a from a leadership standpoint to look at because let's say you did have the chance of finding out where more victims' bodies was. Like many would be kind of like, well, they're gone, they're gone. Uh, yeah. why, why give them the satisfaction of uh, extended life? But on the other hand, for many victims' families, quite often a big deal for them is finding the remains. Yes, it is. And just to torture them like that just for his own his own needs. And how these people get an influence over someone like his wife, for example, how in the heck, you know, after being accused of all of these crimes, she was still under his spell. And I'm glad that the daughter, his daughter Rose, has an assumed identity now and nobody, I mean, maybe some people know where she is, but um, ge- the general populace doesn't know where she is and that's good. Yeah, well, 
either Braun could have taken the flight out of Berlin. I mean, it's <laughs> hard to say how people are thinking at times. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for our first episode. We really appreciate you having there. Uh, we welcome a discussion in the comments section um, and, and, you know, tell us your thoughts on Ted Bundy. What, what made him tick? What do you think about his reign of terror? And in the meantime, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. Thank you for joining us as we experienced a glimpse of hell.